You're listening to the Family Discipleship Podcast, a podcast of training the church. This is Adam Griffin, and before I introduce you to our fantastic, absolutely fantastic guest, let me first introduce my lovely co-host, Mrs. Cassie Bryant. Cassie, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. It's almost summer, and we're just, we're ready for some vacation and no homework. Hey, no homework. I don't do homework anymore. I'm done with homework. Well, (laughs) what a distinct honor to have with us on today's episode, the author, the pastor, the parent, Mr. Brian Loritz. Brian, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I've been looking forward to our time together for quite some time and glad to be on the on the show with you. Well, we're so glad to have you, Brian. Hey, this the when this airs, this this coming Sunday after this episode will be Father's Day. I'm wondering in your house, do you guys have any Father's Day traditions? Do you what do you typically do on a Father's Day? As much as you want, as little as you want? What are you doing? I look, I have self-proclaimed it's my day, so I get to do whatever I want to do. So <laughs> um, typically I love golf, so typically I'm, you know, Father's Day is when the U.S. Open typically happens, the final round. So it involves me sitting on the sofa, watching a little golf, maybe even going out and playing some golf. Uh, It's it's my day. We'll we'll do like a brunch kind of a thing after church. Uh, It's a real chill kind of kickback kind of day. I love that. We were just talking on our Mother's Day episode. My wife is a big golfer. And on Mother's Day, it's very easy to get a tea time. Father's Day, it's, it's pretty tough, but we're more of a Mother's Day golf crew. But I love that yeah. you'll be out there. Who's your favorite golfer right now, Brian? Well, look, it's, it's, it's tough to not be a Tiger person. Yeah. Um, you know, especially kind of... Uh, His recovery uh, right now is pretty inspirational. Yeah, it's, it's inspirational, even though you kind of know just where he's at right now and his comeback, given his age, back issues, the accident with his leg that he doesn't yeah. really have a shot. Um, I like him. I like Justin Thomas, uh, Jordan Spieth, yeah. uh, Rory McIlroy. I, you know, I, I like those guys as well. Yeah, we've got a couple. We're here in Dallas. We've got a couple of PGA golfers that are doing well, including Jordan, that are from right here, just down the street. And so we, when we get to watch golf, it's like watching neighborhood athletes. I love that. Well, today we want to talk about your book, Dad Difference. We want to talk about fathering in general. But for those, before we get into that, for those who don't know you, Brian, would you mind introducing yourself? Tell us a little about you, but not only you, but a lot of people know Brian Loritz, but tell us a little bit about your family, if you wouldn't mind. Who are you as a father, as a husband, and a little bit about your ministry? Yeah, Brian Loritz, uh, my wife, uh, Corey, uh, and I are coming up on uh, 23 years of marriage. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, so we're excited about that. We've got three three sons, uh, 21-year-old Quentin, who's in Arizona, doing school out there and hashtag adulting, and uh, got a <laughs> 19-year-old son, uh, Miles, who's... Uh, just finished up his freshman year at Biola University uh, there in Southern California. And then I've got a 17-year-old son, Jaden, who's going into his senior year of high school. So a little over a year from now, we'll be empty nesters. Wow, that's the dream, man. That's that's the golf every day of the week, right? That's that's the new thing. (laughs) (laughs) He's still a pastor. He's still got sheep. You you can meet with the sheep on the golf course. So, yeah. (laughs) I am not a golf-playing sheep, Brian. So. You don't have to come, Cassie. You don't have to come. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right. Well, a couple of years ago, I actually read your dad's book on leadership. It's called Leadership as an Identity, and I loved it. I learned a ton from it. In your book on fatherhood, I love this. You invited your dad to write the foreword 
And I wonder, in a generation where so many men struggle with such profound father wounds, like that's so common, even and especially maybe in the church, you have this relationship of mutual admiration, mutual affection with your father. How, how special was that to have your dad write the foreword for a book that you're writing on fatherhood? Yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting. You know, I felt compelled to write a, a book on fatherhood, but, you know, as I just listed out the age of my kids, um, you know, I'm still very much a work in progress as a dad myself. So I didn't feel yeah. comfortable lifting myself up as the paradigm yeah. for fatherhood. And so if you read the book, it's really my reflections and recollections on how my dad parented me and my siblings and um, just a whole lot he got right. And in a very honest, real, raw way, sharing some of the things he could have been uh, been better at because none of us are, are close to perfect. We're broken, right. flawed people. You know, even even looking at the heroes in the Bible, um, you know, I'm, I'm preaching on Hagar here um, and just looking at the passivity of Abraham, yeah. uh, the dysfunction of the home. Uh, like none of us, uh, halos don't fit any of us perfectly and horns don't fit any of us perfectly. You know, we're, mm. we're kind of all nuances. Yeah. Um, so to honor my dad in this book and to have him write the foreword, uh, I just felt was a real compelling picture. And one of the things I don't, I don't really talk about it in the book. I may reference it occasionally, because it is a book on fathering, but I think the 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 added punch to it uh, is the example of not just a great godly dad, but a great godly dad who's also African American, mm-hmm. uh, who gives hope to so many dads in general, but also minority fathers. Who the pandemic of fatherlessness is especially profound and acute in those communities. So I wanted to, by way of example, model. Uh, a generational legacy thing in my own family, which is why, again, I invited him on to write the foreword. I love wow. that. So the book is called The Dad Difference, right? That's right. Tell us uh, the heart behind it, why you wrote it, and kind of what um, the you know the different kind of tenets of the book are. Yeah, pretty much. I think um, you know there are four fundamental gifts uh, that that every father needs to give their children. Uh, I open up with the analogy, I travel a lot. And one of the things you pick up on very, very early on in travel is that traveling from the West Coast to the East Coast, you get there a lot faster because you've got a tailwind. Mm. But then traveling those same two points from East Coast to West Coast, you get there a lot slower because you're battling a headwind. Mm. And that's kind of the analogy I open up with. And that is, Every man is either going to be a tailwind or a headwind in the life of their children, Uh, either by my presence or absence, my intentionality or passivity. um, I'm going to be a tailwind or a headwind. And, um, you know, some of the best dads that I know kind of had headwind fathers who either weren't there or maybe they were emotionally unavailable, whatever it may be. You can still get there to your destination. It might take you a little bit longer because you're having to figure out some things at 32 that you should have gotten at 12, but you can still get there. And so this book is meant to inspire people to be tailwind fathers and to be a tailwind dad. You give four four gifts and that's um, relationship, integrity, 
teaching and experiences. It's kind of what I call fathering right, R-I-T. I love that. Um, okay, one of the things that you say early in the book is that for better or for worse, right or wrong, by his absence of presence, dad's shadow looms large over our lives. Can you unpack that for us some? Why do dads make such a difference? I think dads make make such a difference is because that's the way God intended it, right? I think that's why this is probably the most controversial statement I make in the the book. I think think the most profound three-letter word in the English language isn't God, it's dad. Because oftentimes the the prism at which we view God is through the lens of dad. So I am literally handing to my kids, uh, unbeknownst to me, um, their paradigm of what their heavenly father looks like. Yeah. Uh, You know, a lot of times in pastoral ministry, when I encounter people who are deeply disappointed with, with God or want nothing to do with God, you peel back enough layers they're speaking a lot, a lot of times, not every time, but a lot of times out of a deep fatherhood wound or deep disappointment with, with a man and what they should have gotten. So dad is just huge because that is the way that's kind of the, the created order of things. I want to be careful with this. You know, I know there's all these wars of, you know, egalitarian and complementarian. And, you know, I tell people all the time, those are wonderful words, but none of them are in the Bible. So let's just be, let's just Mm -hmm. be clear about that. Um, You know, this is not to, to denigrate the role of women at all. And I'm a big fan of Ephesians 521. And that's this idea of mutual submission. Um, And there is, there is a great role that, that women must play, not should play, but have to play in the life of their of their kids, but dad is, dad is really important as well. And it's, it's just, it's just huge in the development of children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to talk for a second, a little bit more about what you're talking about, especially in absence. Uh, you talked about how it's a pandemic about really it, across our country. We see the absence of fathers in the family In our, in our culture, even the family, families that have dad, maybe who lives with them, we also see a lot of men excuse absence or excuse passivity because to them, uh, they're, they're working hard. Uh, they're providing for their family. That's their way of saying I serve my family. But in that, they also create kind of a, a vacuum there, an absence. Sometimes um, they, they build uh, the inheritance for their kids. It's kind of their excuse for not being around for their kids. But you point out in your book that the Bible calls the children themselves the inheritance of these men, that children are the most important commodity a man can consider in his life. I, want, I wonder if you could talk to us about that. Like what kind of cultural shift would it take for men to think rightly about working outside the home and about the labor to love and to lead inside their home, that they wouldn't be justifying leaving their family alone without them by saying, this is what I'm doing to love them. Yeah. You know, there's a, I mean, all of this is rooted in Psalm 127, um, where it talks about children being, being a heritage from the yeah. Lord. And the idea of a heritage in the original language that the text is written, which is Hebrew, it's, it's literally the word for inheritance. And so, Children are the deposits that we release into the world for a time we will not see. Uh, for most of us, not all of us, but for most of us, our children will outlive us. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, the, the author of um, Psalm 127 links children to the safety and security of the city. So uh, as goes the home, so goes the city. It's, it's an incredibly important thing. 
Now, what gets in the way of all of this is uh, men, typically, we're wired towards significance. Mm-hmm. And we typically battle trying to find significance in other things. Uh, and so a lot for a lot of us, it's success on the job. It's it's money. Uh, and so, hey, we're providing a certain kind of a lifestyle and we live in a certain neighborhood with a certain house and we vacation this way. Well, what that inevitably does is it runs counter to the greatest means of provision that your child needs. And that's not just your resources. It's your actual presence. Amen. And so we can be so busy buying things for our kids um, that those things serve as kind of surrogate substitutes for the real thing, which is our presence in their life. Now, I want to be careful here because I think we can go to the other extreme. So one extreme is being absent. Uh, I'm trying to provide money, trying to provide tuition for this kind of private school or whatever. Uh, The other extreme is I make you the center of the world. Yeah. And so I equate being a good dad with being at every single thing. And we're seeing a lot of that, too, the idolatry of family, which is which is horrible. And so you see this all the time. You know, um, that's why dads get go crazy at their kids, athletic contests, uh, contests. And you want to go calm down. Your kids aren't going pro. And I can say that with accuracy. (laughs) They have your genes. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, th- our, our kids aren't made to bear the crushing weight of deity. Um, but when we make them our idols, that's exactly what we do to them. And we yeah. wreck and we ruin the relationship. So I want to be careful. We, we want to be present, but we don't want to be these helicopter parents that hover over them and make yeah. them idols at the same time. That's good. I know uh, Cassie's going to ask you in a second a little bit more about that because I think that is a really, really yeah. important concept to address with parents and that it's a very tempting, especially maybe right now in the pressure of this generation to feel like mm-hmm. uh, we, to be a good parent, I have to be their best friend at everything, make them the center. Their happiness becomes the crux of whether or not I can feel good about myself as a mom or a dad. But before we get to that, you mentioned earlier kind of the four things, the right parenting, R-I-T-E, relationship, integrity, teaching experiences. Before we move kind of into that deep stuff you just mentioned, can you give us a kind of a summary, uh, briefly catch the drift of the vision for why relationship integrity teaching experience is the framework that you build right parenting around? Yeah. So I want to be careful. These four gifts, uh, really the glue that holds them all together is intentionality. Mm. Uh, the, the best, the best parents, the best fathers I know, it all comes down to one word. They're, they're just intentional. Yeah. Um, there's not this organic kind of fly by the seat of your pants. They're proactive. They're thinking ahead. Um, and so, you know, I love how the whole acronym begins with relationship because the best leadership flows out of not position, but it flows out of, out of relationship. And this was a profound gift that my dad gave to me and my siblings. I mean, I can't tell you how many hours we logged fishing, on some Georgia pond. And, you know, most of those hours was him untangling my, my line um, or sitting in Atlanta Fulton County stadium, uh, watching our Atlanta Braves break our hearts yet again, even though they're world series champions right now, which I love, um, you know, he was just present. There was, yeah. there was relationship. We, we had standing weekly breakfasts uh, at the time. It was a spot called Shoney's or maybe it was McDonald's like, Dad was dad was present. I want to be clear. He traveled a lot. He was an evangelist. Dad was probably gone over 200 days out of the year. Wow. 
Um, but when he was home, he was all in. Um, I I can still recall looking down the first baseline and there's dad at at my baseball game, tie, untied, you know, uh, suit coat draped over his shoulder, cheering me on. So the idea relationship, I'll move through the, through the other three quickly. Integrity, integrity is simply the alignment of words with deeds. That, that was dad. I saw him live out an authentic relationship with God. Uh, I saw him love my mom well. They're coming up on 51 years of marriage. Dad never made a promise to me he didn't keep. Mm. Um, I'm following Jesus Christ today, engaged in full-time vocational ministry, uh, because I saw authenticity in my dad's walk with with the Lord and how that bled out in his relationships with others. Third is teaching. Um, you, You are teaching your kids something. So I want to be clear, we're all teaching them something. Yeah. Uh, but dad, for devotions, um, every time we sat at the table together, he had the Bible out and he would read a chapter of scripture um, before we get disciplined. Um, he would read, read us through a proverb or something, give us like a 20 minute homily on the perils of the court. <laughs> and I'm like, please hurry up. I promise you, I'm not going to remember. <laughs> but he constantly wanted to thread things back to the word of God. And, and what that did was it helped me to see that my sin didn't just offend or break a rule that he had. It actually broke the heart of God, yeah, uh, which was really important. And then fourthly was experiences. Um, it, dad was, it, it's stuff like, okay, you're gonna have to get a job. Uh, okay. You're coming with me on this missions trip and you're going to have to raise support. I want to help you through that. Um, it's stuff like, I'm not going to solve that for you because a, an important gift in your, in, in your manhood journey is the gift of struggle. So I need you to experience some things that I could jump in and fix, but I'm not going to fix because you need the experience of struggle. So just those hands-on experiences were really helpful. Hey friends, it's March and that means Easter is right around the corner. In fact, Easter is in March this year. It's part of the reason I'm pumped to tell you about one of our sponsors who's got a really special Easter deal. This is a great time to get some new resources to disciple your family. Our friends over at Lithos Kids are having an Easter basket sale. They've got the brand new Little Pilgrims Big Journey complete box set. It's now available. Guys, I can't tell you how much I love this resource. If you don't have it, you need to go check it out. Kids and parents have loved reading about Bunyan's beloved tale of Christian and his adventure to follow the king's path to Celestial City. And now you can get all three books in one box set along with a map and it comes with a coloring book and the whole thing is just 60 bucks. You can use the code FAMILY10 to get 10% off your entire order at Lithos Kids right now. So what a great discipleship opportunity. To find all this, go to lithoskids.com, see all the items in their Easter promo, including their new release, The Parables of Jesus, and the Kingdom of God Bible Storybook. Guys, we love Lithos Kids. You're going to love them too. Go check it out today, lithoskids.com, and remember the promo Family 10 to get 10% off your entire order. Sometimes hard things happen. Sometimes they happen to children. When God Makes Scribbles Beautiful is a beautifully illustrated book that helps kids trust that God can take their hard things and use them for good. This picture book imagines that the hard things in a child's life is a scribble following him everywhere. 
Readers will journey through God's promises from the Bible, inspiring hope and faith in God's good and redemptive plan. Hard things don't always go away, but God can turn them into something beautiful. Available at BeautifulScribbles.com. Download a free parent connection guide and printable scripture cards. Uh, in the book, you write about uh, coddling moms and passive dads and how uh, they overvalue their children's happiness, which I have totally been guilty of this. Um, how do you advise parents to love and lead their children well without making their kids the center of the universe? Yeah. So, you know, um, I've got an Asian friend of mine who said, look, if in the typical Asian experience, if you were to reduce the typical Asian parents' aspirations down to, for their children to one word, it would be the word success or successful. Hmm. We just want our kids to be successful. Hmm. He also said, looking at the typical American, if you were to reduce kind of the typical American hmm. parents' aspirations down to one word, it's happy. We just want our kids to be happy. I don't think any of those two are um, are going to cut it as it relates to a biblical vision for our children. And so, what what happens when there's just this happiness ethic? Uh, a good a good book to read along these lines is also the book, The Coddling of the American Mind. Yeah. Um, when I am constantly trying to orchestrate and micromanage my kids' lives. So that there's always comfort, there's always enjoyment, there's always happiness. At the same time, what I what I am depleting them of is strength and resiliency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in a lot of mental health conversations, and I want you, I want to be very clear on this: mental health is a real thing. Yeah. It's a real thing. I hate the fact that I'm just now coming into the mental health conversation decades into my life. I, I wish I would have I would have sat with therapists. I wish I would have heard about this decades before our family has dealt with mental health. I cannot say that enough. But I also think and there's studies out as well that with the rise of mental health, it's kind of running on parallel tracks with the lack of resiliency in children. Wow. And that I, I don't. I'm, I'm not saying that every mental health scenario is that, but there's something in the water that's there that we have to pay attention to as kids. And one of the most, I think, one of the most abusive things a parent can ever do to their child is to create a false reality where they get everything they want and it's all about them and their happiness. That's bad. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the, the Veruca salting of the generation, right? It's that, that character. Ooh, in the, in, good reference. Thank you. Uh, Charlie, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the, the character that just gets everything they want. And the dad's yep. willing to pull out the checkbook and say whatever it takes to make her happy. Yeah. And yep. really, it's also um, we, t- we think about that kind of as a child centered, but it's really also centered on the the parent feeling yep. more comfortable in parenting, feeling better about themselves. We have kind of that, that pursuit of happiness also goes to the root of why parents do what they want. And, and they, uh, you know, I, I totally agree, Brian. I see such a pandemic of this. We could probably spend an hour just unpacking that concept, but I think that is so helpful and convicting to the mom or dad who goes, what am I centering our family on? And if I yep. want to raise kids that are ready to be followers of Christ in a culture that does not love it, how could I make happiness the goal? 
Like, why would my kid pursue Christ in a culture that doesn't love Christ? Look, I'll, I'll say that this is in real time. This is, this is happening. Just yesterday, one of our kids called me and, um, you know, I had been encouraging him to save money. Um, he hadn't been doing that. Got a couple flat tires, called me in a panic. Um, didn't have didn't have money in a savings account. Mm. Um, has just blown through. And, you know, I didn't take on the one hand, I didn't launch into I told you so. Why didn't you listen? I showed incredible empathy, uh, wanted to make sure he was OK. Um, but I didn't jump in and fix it either. Hmm. He he needs to learn that lesson. Now, are there times to go, man, you've blown it. We've had this conversation. Let me show you grace. Absolutely. That's more of an art than a science. But there's also times to go, yeah, you, you kind of need to feel this one. Yeah. yeah. Um, because this is an important thing for you to learn in your journey. I love that. Yeah. If we don't want kids to be entitled and we don't want them to be, and we do want them to be resilient, it does mean making them face difficult circumstances and have to come up with not just bringing their parents the problem, but bringing their parents the solution. I I think that's a really, really great point. Now, one of the other things you talk about in the book that's related to this is that not all parents are going to nail it every time either. These parents are going to have to show some form of resilience, but also they're going to have to be ready to apologize. It's something we talk a lot about on our show is repenting with your kids when we mess up. We talk, you talk about how apologies are rooted in humility and that that humility is the lifeline to that healthy, vibrant relationship with our children. I wonder if you could maybe by way of comparison, what's what's the difference between a home of a parent that's struggling with pride that will not admit fault? And what does that do to a family? And, and then what does humility foster in that relationship in the family? What are you missing out on if you're not repenting to your kids, I guess? And what do you gain when you are willing to apologize? Look, a basic theology of sin, basic says that we're all sinners um, and that sin is primarily social and relational. So in Adam and Eve's sin, sin enters into the world. Notice the first thing they do is they hide from God, right? Yeah. Um, and, and then they hide from one another. So before that, they were naked and unashamed. There's transparency. There's vulnerability. Now that gets covered up. And so sin impedes authentic relationships, Um, it's just the truth of the matter. What that means is I don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord. I don't care how authentic your relationship with the Lord is. We are sinners, which means my brokenness is going to impact my kids. It's going to come out. It's just going to come out. Um, and so that's why I think you can still be full of integrity, even in the midst of your sin, because what an apology what, what an apology acknowledges is I didn't live up to the standard here and I need you to forgive me. I have violated you. I've wronged you. Listen, decades removed from my father's home, I, his, I remember his apologies more than his flaws and mistakes. Wow. And I think that's what, that's what, that's what parents need to understand yeah. is Listen, you're you're a broken person. Okay, we get that. Yeah. We get that. But your kids don't just need grace from you. You need grace from your kids. Yeah. And in order to receive that, it's like I need to repent downward. Yeah. Um it, it's gotta be a two-way street here. Um and I I I I I I'm grateful to have a father who modeled that for me. 
Yeah. So good. That brings to mind the parents like that my, that are listening who find themselves really struggling, either just discouraged by parenting decisions or sin struggle they're having or wanting to make things right, but not knowing how or kind of maybe back on track with intentional parenting. And so what, as a pastor, what's a word of encouragement you can give to our listeners who maybe feel just are coming to this podcast, listening and feeling discouraged about where they're at? Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm well aware, you know, sin really is a mess and there's, you know, a portion of your listeners who are in a nuclear family, uh, other listeners, they're in a blended family, uh, other listeners, there's, you know, maybe a kid out of wedlock or, mm-hmm. you know, there's a divorce situation that maybe now that kid is, is a grown adult. Um, Romans twelve eighteen is your lifeline as best as you can be at peace with all people as best as you can. It takes two people to have a healthy relationship. And um, I think it just begins with you owning what you need to own um, and in great sincerity and apology, uh, offering an apology. I think on the, on the other end, you know, I just came out of um, a beautiful time uh, with a bunch of young men who are fathers now and all came out of broken homes. Mm. And I think on the other side of the table, you know, one of the Ten Commandments, Dennis Rainey calls it the forgotten commandment. It's the commandment to honor your your mother and father. It's not the commandment to obey. Obeying and honoring are two different things. Right. Um, But, you know, oftentimes the pathway to healing, and I've seen this over and over again with with kids who who had dads who blew it, right? So if you're the dad, you should apologize. But as the kid... You know, the call to honor, I think if you if you wrote a beautiful tribute, John Tyson talks about doing this with his own father. If you write a tribute and you just say, listen, I just want to point out the things you did right. And I want to honor you just as a way that's honoring God. That kind of breaks the levees of of shame, because as a man, we know when we've wronged people. We, we know when we haven't done done right. And when we when we know that I've wronged you, that now that now builds up shame in me. And, and that shame keeps me from having relationship. But when the one in whom I've wronged kind of writes a tribute and says, I want to honor you, man, that that allows that shame to dissipate and it sets the table for for a relationship. Yeah. So, again, there's the apologies on one side. There's maybe maybe figuring out a way to honor on the other side. I think if we do those things, we can move closer to a healthy relationship. That's so good. Yeah. I'm going to definitely ask my daughters to write a tribute. <laughs> I'm going to see what my, my five, seven, and nine-year-old write. I'll, I'll email it to you, Brian. <laughs> I love that. We get to talk so much on this show, and you've been so helpful in thinking about challenging men to be Godly fathers, what that looks like. Your book is is almost kind of lays out for a man. If you want to father well, here's some things to focus on. And we just talked about if you're discouraged in this, here's here's where to find encouragement. I wonder if you could turn the corner for us just as we start to land the plane a little bit. You're a man who's raising sons. You're a man who had a godly father. If we want to talk to moms and dads, not just about being a good dad, but how do we raise sons? How do we think about raising a generation who's ready to be a godly father? When you think about, we talked about resilience, but what else do you think about we can, we can try to parent into their childhood even that prepares them to be godly fathers? Well, I, I, I think that's a great 
Great question. Um, I say this a couple times in the book. I think you have to acknowledge your limitations. You cannot manufacture a godly child. You cannot do that. Um, my, My dad loves to say, and this is the statement I mentioned several times in the book, we parents tend to take too much credit when our kids turn out right, and I put that in quotes, and too much blame when they turn out wrong. That's true. So give yourself grace. Uh, I cannot tie my self-esteem into my kids' behavior, right? So if that was the case, God has some bad self-esteem. Have you seen his kids lately? (laughs) So I think, you know, I think the best parenting we do is from our knees, crying out to God. And, you know, I think a great verse to pray over your kids, Deuteronomy 5, 29, oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep my commandments Mm. so that it may go well with them and with their descendants forever. What a verse to pray over your kids. I pray that over my kids every single day. Uh, I think there's three big questions in life that if you were to ask me, what's the number one thing my kids and I talked about? It was these three big questions. Um, It's who's your master? We all have one. Do you have the right one? Uh, what's your mission? What What is that unique thing that God has is calling you to do by way of vocation? Someone once said the two most significant days in our life is the day that we are born and the day when we find out why we were born. And the third big question is, who's your mate? All of our time as uh, together, we were we were talking about one of those one of those big, big boxes. And then I would just say, pull them in. Um, you know, authentically live out before them what it looks like to serve God's church well. Uh, I would I would say you need to think strategically about some kind of rites of passage. Um, you know, um, what what are you doing to celebrate your girl stepping into womanhood, uh, your young your young son stepping into manhood? Uh, I think you you need to do that when our kids turn thirteen. We have a rites of passage deal that my dad's a part of, and they get a Bible that my dad's been, you know, writing prayers for that spe- specific kid uh, in that Bible mm-hmm. for the previous two years. I-, I think those kinds of intentional things are helpful, uh, but do the best you can and leave the results to God. So That's good. awesome. What are some other texts that have really rooted you as a father that have showed you what you know, fatherhood is meant to be and that the image that God has for you as a father and then has kind of rooted you in your fathering. I'm always drawn to Luke 15. Um, you know, it's been called the the parable of the prodigal son. I think it's a dad and two lost sons. Mm-hmm. And just wanting to avoid the extremes between mm-hmm. kind of the religious legalism of the elder brother versus the uh, ir- irreligious younger son, but even thinking it through the terms of, of, of the dad and wanting to give my kids performance-free love, man, that, that is, that's impossible for me to do on my own terms. I, I need the Spirit of God to really help me there. Ephesians 6 is huge, you know, as Paul is just talking about dads not provoking your kids uh, you know, what does that look like? What does that mean? Deuteronomy 6, the great Shema passage, Hero Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And then just saying, I want you to talk about these things when you get up, when you lie down. Um, and just how the family, according to Deuteronomy 6, is God's primary vehicle for transformation in society. Yeah. I mean, that's just yeah. a powerful, 
powerful thing. So I don't, as a dad, I don't outsource my responsibilities to the youth pastor. Yeah. That's so important. The youth pastor helps me in my discipleship responsibility with my kids. I'm not outsourcing that to their AAU coach or anyone else. I'm responsible for that. And just kind of feeling the weight and the burden of that. So those are some texts that have been really helpful for me. Thank you. Brian, that's incredible. Your your book is incredible. Your ministry is such a help to people. I'm so yeah. glad that God has given you a position where of influence in the church today, in, in our nation. I'm uh, There's so much I have to learn from you and from your father, from the way you parent, but also from you as a pastor. I wonder if, if you would, just for a minute, before we let you go, would you mind sharing with us, if our listeners want to pray for you and want to pray for the Lurlitz home, what can they pray for you for? What are you asking God for, for you, for your sons, for your wife? Yeah, you know, naturally, I want to finish strong. Uh, I want to run through the finish line. Um, I, I would say an immediate prayer request uh, in, in Corey and I's parenting, you know, as your kids now enter into the young adult phase, um, you're, you're really transitioning. There, there's two great phases as parenting, and this comes from Tim Kimmel. Uh, you begin with protection. Um, and that's zero till about 12, where you're really ramping up on protection. When I say at about 12, you're starting to ramp down into preparation. And so now my kids are full on being launched from the house. Psalm 127 says they're, they're like arrows, not boomerangs. Uh, they're <laughs> like arrows. They're, they're being launched out. And so I never stop being a parent, but it's more like I'm a coach now. I'm a friend now, and we're just making that transition, and that's a tough transition uh, on yeah. both sides. And so I, I just need a lot of wisdom, a lot of grace uh, as we, we kind of tweak roles a little bit. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And a couple tires, it sounds like. We could pray for a couple yes. tires as well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brian, thank you so much for being on with us. This has been such a treat for us. I know it's going to bless yeah. our listeners. And guys, if you haven't picked up the book already and it's Father's Day week, maybe you pick this up for a, a special father in your life or for somebody who's becoming a first-time dad. This is a great opportunity to have them focus on the fact that the Lord has called them to something special in being a dad. Yeah. And this is a special, a special position in our culture. Well, friends, thanks for listening. If you think it's as important as we do to disciple our families, please help us out by giving us a great review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can visit one of our sponsors or share this episode with one of your friends. If you want to keep up with us and join the conversation, you can follow the Family Discipleship Podcast on social media. We love you listeners. This is our last episode of the summer, and we're looking forward to being back this fall with more great stuff for you, and we will see you then.